My mother was a very secretive and private woman. She had private rituals, private friends, private anxieties. It honestly feels like a betrayal just to be standing here talking about her. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 217 and our movie this week is 2018's Hereditary and here to talk to me about it from the So Wizard podcast, it's Mark. Mark, how you doing? I am good, Travis, man. I am so glad to take part of So Wizard Month again because <laughs> we had uh, such a good time uh, whenever we did it before. Uh, so I'm very excited to come in and, and show that So Wizard isn't all just um, Joey hating on <laughs> Julia Roberts. You know, there's there's different <laughs> levels to the podcast. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was two years ago. And when you came on a couple years ago, I got to show you Event Horizon for the first time. Yes. Yes. And and that was a trip, right? Because you hadn't seen that. And it's a movie that I very much enjoy uh, after not liking it when I first saw it. Um, so you brought this time around Hereditary, which is a movie that had passed me by. I had not seen it either. Um and uh, 2018, written and directed by Ari Aster. So what, what, if any, history do you have surrounding this movie? You know, I again, I don't know why I pick horror movies when, when I cover your show, <laughs> because I am not a horror movie fan at all. Uh, <laughs> but my, uh, my friend, uh, Beat Him Down, from Cult 45, the movie podcast, he mm-hmm. was surprised that I had not seen this movie when we talked about it about a year ago. And he's like, Mark, you have to see Hereditary. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll put it on the list and I'll get to it eventually. Um, but I, I haven't seen this one. I hadn't seen Midsommar. So I haven't been a part of this huge like uh, horror renaissance, the smart horror or the new horror renaissance. Uh, but sure. I am I am a fan of Scream, of the Scream franchise. And when they were mm-hmm. talking about elevated horror in Scream 5, um, I'm like, well, maybe I should, you know, at some point check out some of this stuff. Uh, that's, I guess they call it elevated horror. So, uh, yeah, Hereditary is one of those movies that's been in my wheelhouse. And this seemed like a, it's one of those things where, you know, if I don't watch it now, then who knows when the next opportunity is going to come. So I'm very right. uh, excited for this invitation. Yeah, and sort of like you, I I am a fan of horror movies, but I don't. Uh, they they tend to be the thing that if I'm going to miss a movie, it's usually something horror related. Um, not so much because I don't enjoy them or I don't seek them out. They're just not always top of mind. And what I have found, elevated horror is an interesting term because I get it, and part of me kind of likes it in that it's an easy way to it's a it's an easy shorthand to give somebody. Mm-hmm. But I also don't like the term because it makes it feel as though right, you know, non-elevated horror is somehow lesser than or it's or the people that enjoy it are lesser than. And I don't I don't yeah. subscribe to that. Even if you're not a fan of horror, like people can still enjoy horror and it's perfectly fine. Um, but there's something to, you know, a movie like this or um, there's some of these other Midsummer was an, is another one. So another Ari Aster. Um mm-hmm. Uh, the witch, 
um, lighthouse where they have these horror elements, but they're not a traditionally horror film the way that you would think of like a slasher film or a ghost story or something like that. They're, they're these psychological deep dives that have horror elements woven into them. Right. And they're very, very interesting. So I hadn't seen this. You, uh, and it's been one that same thing. A lot of people told me, Oh, you got to watch, you got to watch hereditary everyone except for, uh, my co-host on the gore podcast. Who's in the chat right now. Phelan who hated, she did not like (laughs) hereditary, uh, at all. Um, but outside of that, everyone keeps telling me, Oh, it's great. It's great. You got to watch it and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and then when it was mentioned, I'm like, perfect. This is a great opportunity because kind of like you, I, if I don't, sometimes if I don't bring a movie either to, if I don't do it on a show of some type, it's kind of like I will never get around to it because I have so many other things going on. Right. But boy, am I glad I got a chance to watch this because <laughs> this was something else. Um, this uh, 2018 written and directed by Ari Aster. This is his feature film debut. Blew my mind. <laughs> How much talent does this guy have to come out of the gate like this? Just amazing. Yeah, I mean, yes, he'd done some shorts and whatnot, but a feature film debut, and he just comes out swinging for the fences yes, and goes for it. And how, okay, so I always like to kind of start with the cast of a movie, and this movie has quite the cast in it. How in the hell did Tony Collette not even get nominated for <laughs> an Oscar or a Golden Globe or something for this movie? Because... Good Lord, she was amazing. In the, like, everybody's great in this, but there was mm-hmm. something. Her performance was out of this world. Yeah, I didn't. She was the only person that I knew was that was in this movie, obviously, because she's on the posters and all of the, the trailers. Um, I didn't realize Gabriel Byrne was in this movie. I'm like, oh, now, if he's in it, that means that there's actually some, you know, because Tony Collette, she can, let's be real, she can be in almost anything. You know, she can play in any genre her appearance doesn't necessarily mean that the movie's going to be amazing, but for some reason, seeing her and Gabriel burn together, I'm like, okay, there's a little bit of substance to this. This could be good. And um, the actor who I, I can't think of his name, but he was in uh, the Jumanji reboots. Uh, he plays Peter. Um, and he oh, was Alex in, Wolf. Uh, yes, Alex Wolf. Uh, mm-hmm. He was in, I want to say pig with uh, Nicholas cage, another right. good actor. I saw him and I'm like, Oh, I like this kid. Okay, so we got a good cast going. So now, now I'm I'm intrigued with uh with where we're starting off. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're right. Tony Collette can do anything, and uh, I know I saw a quote from her saying like she was trying to get away from a lot of the serious movies at this point, but then she read this script and kind of fell for it. Um, you know, right after this or shortly after this, she did Knives Out, and she was you could tell she was having so much fun in that. It's right. just this like goofy you know, pseudo Gwyneth Paltrow type character uh, <laughs> sort of thing that she had going on. Right. Um, but she, she has a lot of range and she's very good, but I would kind of with you when I saw Gabriel Byrne, which I had no idea he was in this mm-hmm. because all the marketing I'd seen, they only ever show Tony Collette. And they show uh, Millie Shapiro, the daughter. Yeah. We're going to get to her by the way. <laughs> but Gabriel Byrne showing up made me realize, Oh, we've got something here because he's very selective about what he does. Exactly. Gabriel Byrne is not one that will just take any offer. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I love the movie, the usual suspects. He almost yes. didn't do that movie. They had to like, 
they had to hound him to do the movie and basically agree, all right, we'll shoot it in LA, even though half the story <laughs> takes place in New York mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff just to get him on there. And which is worth it. Cause he's amazing in that movie. Yeah. But so when I see him in something, I'm like, okay, he's, he isn't just taking a role to take a role. He's really right. selective. And then Alex Wolf, who completely forgot he was in uh pig. And I just saw pig not that long ago last year. <laughs> um, and like he's i mean he's so good mm-hmm. in in that but he again powerhouse performance in this movie he oh, was so God. like it's just ari aster got such great performances out of those three and then millie shapiro who's basically making her film debut she'd been acting for a few years okay um because she started uh, one of her first major acting gigs was um matilda on broadway okay. i want to mm-hmm. say um, but he got these just amazing performances out of them. And, and I couldn't, then when I saw, I'm like, okay, they they had to have been up for some, I, I didn't remember Tony Collette being up for an Oscar, but I'm like, she had to been up for some kind of an award. Nothing. No, no, yeah. none of the big awards like that, which is just, that's such a snub because she's very, she's, she carries this movie and that's saying mm-hmm. something with Alex Wolf and Gabriel Byrne, Gabriel Byrne, who puts in. Like that character of Steve is just that guy goes through so much in this movie and the performance is perfect. Yeah. And you, I, can't, and you can't help, but well, at least I couldn't help, but identify with Steve. Cause he's, you know, all of these things are happening and he's trying to just keep the family together. He's like, yep. just trying to be the glue as all of these pieces are just like flying all over the place. So, you know, I completely identified with him and every, oh, yeah. any strife that he went through, I'm like, Dude, I, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Yeah, and then to find out, like, I found out after the fact, because it, it's not really explicitly said, his character is a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that watching the movie. So he's watching all of these people in his life unraveling in front of him, and he's trying to figure it out at the same time, which just, like, adds another layer to what that character is doing throughout this movie. Um, because I noted, like, a lot of times it's very tropey in especially horror movies to have the husband either be clueless or yeah. uh, a dick, right? He's, <laughs> he's either they're they're either clueless and don't understand or believe whatever's going on, or they're just mean spirited towards the family or they don't care or that kind of thing. And Steve is none of those things. He cares. Right. He cares about, he especially cares about Peter. Yep. And he's worried for Annie and he wants to keep things together. And he's very supportive of her. You know, when she gets up in the middle of the night to go sleep in the, the tree house and he knows that's what she's doing. And he's like, look fine. Just if you get cold, come back inside, please. Right. Like he's not going to, because he knows trying to stop her is not going to help at all. And he mm-hmm. needs to let her do that. Um, so yeah, I just, I just love that. And then Millie Shapiro who, oh. okay. <laughs> so, the marketing for this, because I had seen some trailers, they pulled a total psycho on us. Yes. They, they pulled a Janet Lee because she is all over all of the marketing. Yep. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, it's too late. We're, we're going to spoil everything for it. So deal with it. Yeah, we have to say, if you haven't seen Hereditary yet and you like good movies, like, uh, again, I've, I've said, I'm not a horror movie fan at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I like a good story that has horror elements. Yep. This movie is that. It is 
actually, I'm going to, spoiler alert, I'm going to say this movie is amazing. I was blown away by it. So, um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Definitely watch it. Yep. You, and if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead, pause, go watch it. It's on HBO Max and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Yes. Um, but I was in no way prepared for what happened to the character of Charlie. And I like I just it, it caught me completely off guard. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the movie they're really signposting everything and they're kind of spoon feeding you all the information. There's no like major, Holy cow revelations because they're leading to it the whole time. And it's just this slow burn and slow unraveling of everything going on. But that particular scene when they, when she, because they're, they're leading you up to, they've, they've mentioned her, you know, her nut allergy already with chocolate. Yep. And you see the, the person at the party chopping all the walnuts. Yep. So it's like, you know what's coming. She's going to eat some of that and she's going to have an allergic reaction. Yep. That all made sense. As soon as she rolls that window down and starts leaning out the window. And I'm like, and and then that happened. I was like, holy cow. I mean, I just (laughs) didn't see it coming at all. It was at that point where I'm like, because again, like you, I watched the marketing. I figured it's a movies about Tony Collette and her young daughter. Um, Yep. And then when that happened, I'm like, what have I done? Like, what, what movie, did, <laughs> why did I pick this movie? I, I feel like I've, I've done something because I had no idea that was coming. And it took me so off guard. But then on the other hand, I'm like, oh, we are playing for real on this movie. Mm-hmm. Now I am like, because as you said, they're, they're, they're kind of teasing you little pieces of what's going on. And I'm watching the movie and I'm taking notes. I'm like, okay, where is this going? Where is this going? And then when you mm-hmm. get to that part where it's just shocking, um, I was like, okay, we are in for keeps. I don't know where this movie is going, but I am all in because they are doing a different type of storytelling that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, they are not messing around. Nobody is safe now. You don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen to any character. Anything could happen. And it was just like, I just can't get over how much that particular scene affected me and then moving forward now it's like okay now we got a whole different movie happening now it's not what i was set up for at all and it's one of those where the way that scene played out you see everything right up until they cut away as she's hitting the pole Mm -hmm. and from then on then you get like almost a minute of just a close-up on peter's face in the car You get that one quick look in the rearview mirror, but then he looks away because he, he can't bring himself to like really look. And then we're just we're just there with Peter in that moment for the next mm-hmm. minute. And it's rough. Like this movie is rough. <laughs> it is. It does not pull any punches. And for him to then just be in this fugue state as he drives home. Now, yeah. I did read some some Internet trivia. So take it with a grain of salt. Okay that that was based on a, a thing that actually happened that there oh, was no. some kids, some people went to a party, got really drunk driving home. One of them started to feel sick, lean their head out the window and that happened. And the person actually did drive home like that in that kind of shocked state and just mm. go to bed. But that for as ridiculous as that sounds, I also can conceive of that happening yeah. because like the shock of that, the shock of that moment and you yeah. have like no way to react. You have no idea how to react to that. 
and he just you can see how that would happen in real life because they're driving on a road there's not you know it's a there's no street lights so you know the only light yeah. that that's coming is from his car so when he sees you know a dead animal in a road which you know we've all seen that before um you know his natural instinct is to swerve out of the way not realizing that his, his sister's head out the, is out the window um yeah and when uh, and like you said we're you know when we're just stuck on his face because again i watched that scene and i'm like what just happened like did what exactly happened and you're just stuck with peter's face and it's excruciating because you're dying to know exactly what did i what did i just watch what did i just mm -hmm. see and and you get the answer through tony collette's screaming through annie's reaction to it yeah and that is just brutal brutal which also brilliantly we don't see right away either mm -hmm. like this movie Ari Aster did something in here that I thought was brilliant, which was the things he didn't show us mm -hmm. throughout the movie. You know, we get all this reaction and then it's him coming home, you know, mindlessly walking upstairs, laying down in his bed and we're still waiting and waiting. And then we get the next morning and we hear, we hear her get out of bed, go yeah. downstairs, get to the car. And then she discovers the body and then she starts screaming and we still never see her a different right. type of movie. And this is where I both understand and kind of want to buck against like elevated horror because a, a different horror movie is going to show us Annie discovering the body. Right. Is going to show us her reaction right away because we are supposed to be in that moment with her. But, but in this case, this movie wants us in the moment with Peter. Right. And so we, all we're getting is his experience of it. And that's the other thing that as the movie unfolded, I realized, oh, this is this is Peter's story. Yes. This is all focused on Peter. And to be there with him while we're hearing his mother letting out just this animalistic scream as she discovers her daughter, you know, her her baby. Yeah. Dead like that is just insane. And then and then when it finally does cut away and show the aftermath of the accident, we stick on that shot forever. Jeez. And you know, shout out to the prop department and their special effects guys, because that was a hell of a head <laughs> that they had. Yep. And, uh, and of course, anytime you put uh, ants and bugs crawling over something like that's going to make <laughs> it even creepier. And boy, they did. Right. It's just, I'm just like, did we really need to, to stick on it for that long? But at the same time, yes, <laughs> like we did. And oh, it's rough. It's real rough. But did you, okay. When you watched it, did you notice the shot earlier that showed the pole and the symbol on the, on the light pole. I did. They did focus on that, but I thought they did it. I don't know if they did it earlier or later, but they did once. Cause the, the, the first thing that I was paying attention to was the necklace that the grandmother had Yep. when she's yes. laying down and I'm like, Oh, that's a weird look at necklace. And they do a close up of it. I'm like, that's odd. And then you instantly see Annie standing there with the exact same necklace. So I'm like, all right, that symbol means something. And then they showed yeah. the pole and you can faintly see it, but that symbol is there. But I don't remember if that was before or after the accidents that I picked up. On it that. was, it was, it was on their way to the party. Oh, okay. they drive okay. past it and the camera's panning and it stops for a second and it shows you that. And it's one of those things where, again, they're, they're giving you all this information of like, right. Then, then after things happen, you can, you can then go back and reconstruct it and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. They told us about that. You mm -hmm. know, when, uh, when, 
Annie sits down with the support group and she starts talking. Yep. And she starts giving the whole history of the mental health of her family and things that have happened in their family. They're laying out half the plot of the movie right there, but you don't really realize it until you think about it towards the end of like, oh, the whole thing with her brother yes. at 16. And then the note saying, you know, you tried to put someone inside me and they mm -hmm. diagnosed that as schizophrenia. Probably not <laughs> schizophrenia after all. Like, uh, turns out he was telling the truth there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the um, other things that I, I really liked about this movie is that it starts off the opening shot is uh, not just the house, but the, the very beginning is the obituary for uh, yep. the grandmother. And it tells mm -hmm. you all of the details. These are the list of the characters that you have to kind of pay attention to. Um, yep. And then once I realized that, I'm like, okay, so there's the grandmother and there's the, the her brother, Charlie. And then when she talks about Charlie and talks about, you know, grandma was trying to put someone inside of him or whatever. It's like, oh, okay. So now it, it's all starting to make sense. They give you all of the little clues. It's just a matter of, <laughs> it, can you can you focus on these clues when they're shocking you with killing uh, the sweet little girl that you're just like, oh, she just wants to hang out in the treehouse. Yeah. And at the same time, like this girl who there's a whole other a angle where she was, you know, she talks about how grandma wanted me to be born a boy mm -hmm. and her name's Charlie. And we see that the grandma, you know, later on, we find that the grandma would knit these like floor mats and put yeah. names on them. And for hers, for Charlie's, it was Charles. And see, I thought that that was for the brother. Like the. I'm pretty or... sure because it was, they had a Peter and Charles, oh, I think. Okay. Or maybe it was, maybe it was Annie and Charles. But yeah, it's like, that's... they wanted that, like, so the, there's the whole thing of Annie and her mom were estranged when Peter was born. Right. And Peter was supposed to be like the vessel. Right. But, but grandma couldn't get a hold of him. So instead she got Charlie and, you know, was try, trying to manipulate Charlie and, and, and move Charlie into being the vessel, which ended up not working. Right. Like it wasn't the thing that they wanted. So now years down the road, they're going to go, the cult's going in a different direction because there's the whole cult angle of everything. And that symbol <laughs> for payment and it's just, it's like, oh, okay, we got a whole lot, you know, now we got more to unpack um, yes. as that happens. You get, you meet Joan who, again, the movie is very smart. Joan is in that first scene in the support group, but we right. never, we never meet her. Right. But if you go back and watch it, you see her sitting there mm -hmm. and then you meet her and she comes up with this whole story of, uh, you know, because I'm, I don't believe her story of her grandson drowning in a lake. Like none of that's true. Mm -hmm. She's just making that up to, to create a grief story that she can connect to Annie with in order to draw her in. And there's even subtle things like when she runs into her in the parking lot of the art supply store and she's telling her about the seance and all that. Yeah. If you, if you look in the back of her car, she just bought those chalkboards <laughs> that she then says was, you know, her son, her grandson's favorite item was that chalkboard. She just right. bought them. The movie's uh. like, no, check this. Like, Again, there, there's some of that really clever filmmaking where the movie's just like, here's what happened right in front of you. Yep. And now you can see it again that second time through. Mm. Um, you know, that's good filmmaking, of, good writing. One of the other, um, to speak on that point, 
elements that I liked was Annie's miniature sets that she was mm -hmm. building, the, the little miniature houses. Because there is that one image of her breastfeeding Charlie and then the grandmother yeah. <laughs> off to the side, you know, ready to breastfeed Charlie too. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, what clue, what does this clue mean? And, you know, you find out, again, they give you that little nugget. And then when you get to the end of the story, you know exactly what, what that was for. Mm -hmm. um, the miniatures, opening the opening shot, panning across that room and seeing all of the little dollhouses and yep. then pushing in on the last one and having that dollhouse room then become our reality mm -hmm. as, as uh, Steve walks in to give Peter his suit for the funeral right. was so well done and such a cool not only visual, but also storytelling element of like, these people are just dolls inside of a house. They have yes. no, the, and because that, that theme runs throughout it. If you listen to the lectures going on in Peter's classrooms, they're talking yeah. about Heracles and how Heracles didn't really have any say in what was going on. He was just mm -hmm. fated to do these things. And you got, yep. they keep cutting to these doll houses and all this kind of stuff. And I thought that was brilliant, but I also love that first shot. It's very clearly a doll house. Yeah, And then when they get to the actual full-on frame, it's a set they built that still looks like the dollhouse. <laughs> like I, was, the, the, I, I was wondering, because I when I, as I'm watching the, the scene, and you can tell, you know, if you watch enough movies, you can tell exactly what is going to happen. As soon as the camera pans away and you see the, the dollhouse and you're zooming mm -hmm. in on a room, you're like, okay, eventually they're going to transition this into like a real room. And I'm, you know... I watch movies, so I know how special effects work. And I'm watching, and I'm like, I'm waiting to find that that point where it switches over. And it, you can bear. I watched it twice. That one scene, no, three times. Mm -hmm. I watched it three times. Just that one scene. <laughs> you can't tell. You can't. It blends so smoothly in there. And I'm like, all right, this guy, this film director is, he's aiming for something. He's taking a big swing. Um, and you can tell that there's some real like vision behind the camera. So I, yes. I really, really enjoyed that. And it was smart too. I, I did read they built the house itself. All the sets for the interiors of the house were all built on sound stages specifically. So he could pull walls out and ceilings off and get all his cameras where he wanted them to be for all his different shots. And like Tony Collette said, he was one of the most um, prepared directors she's ever worked with. Like he had everything plotted out and storyboarded and like shot in his head. Yeah. before they started doing the movie and for this to be a feature film debut you can i i buy that because there's so much attention to detail to all of these shots that he has and you can tell it's somebody who like knew the visual he wanted and mm -hmm. was able to translate that into the camera and it's something as simple as building a second set that looks like a dollhouse like where you know the the tripod with the um coat hanging over uh the telescope yeah. is it looks like it's a cardboard cutout with the way that it's painted and everything. And like mm -hmm. the background, the the closet in the background is just doesn't quite look like it's in reality, but yet right. it is in a set that Peter or that uh, Peter Gabriel, that Gabriel <laughs> Byrne is walking through. Yeah. Um, is great because then when we see his room later, it looks exactly like that, but now we're seeing just the set that they built right. for it. It's like, it's just really, really brilliant. And to use, tilt shift photography for some of the exterior shots mm -hmm. um when you would see 
you know, a shot of the mountain and they would shoot it tilt shift. So it looks like a miniature. Yeah. But it's not, it's a shot outside. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is really cool. Match cuts that he would do where you would see. Oh my God. The match cuts. <laughs> Amazing. So you're like me. You love a good match cut. <laughs> and there was, there was a couple of like uh, exterior ones. And then there was the one of Peter sitting up in his bed and then yeah. they match cut him into the high school. Yeah. Classroom. Amazing. Amazing. So oh, it's just, those are the types of things like that's flashy and it's, but it's so cool looking and it's such a, you know, it like odd camera moves, Dutch tilts, that kind of stuff are mm-hmm. all these things to make you feel unsettled. There's a great, there's a great one where Annie comes up into the hallway and the shots upside down. Yes. It's the camera panning all the way around as she walks underneath it and then it goes to right side up and then the camera comes down to the level that she's at. So it starts mm-hmm. off above her and comes like, that's it's very unsettling. It is. It puts you in this weird mood and, mm-hmm. and it does that without you consciously thinking about, wow, this just, you know, this is weird. It's just like, this is weird, but you're also drawn into the dynamic nature of the shot. Yes. Um, yep. And that's where also I think building those sets and being able to pull a wall out so you can get an impossible camera move or the the shot at the cemetery at Charlie's burial where it's this long. The, there was a lot of long shots in this movie, which I yep. appreciate, um, you know, a long shot. And then everything is framed very small in it. So you feel you get this feeling of being an outsider. Yeah, looking in on the events that are going on, and then that camera slowly moving down and going underground. Yes, and uh, it's just all these little things. I also like this was kind of cool, and I, I forgot to mention this before, but um, Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf had worked together on a previous project, um, okay. a TV series. I want to think, I want to say, or something where they were playing father and son. Oh, okay. And Alex Wolf knew Millie Shapiro from, they went to a, uh, a school together at some point. So they knew okay. each other. So the, those three all knew each other ahead of time, but Tony Collette didn't know any of them. She hadn't worked with them before. So that could kind of play into this whole idea of her feeling like an outsider within her own family that we slowly get this feeling of as the story yeah. is unfolding. Um, and that's, part of the the great writing but also her performances it starts off she just seems like a normal mom kind of doing the best that she can right but then there's like that that dinner scene after charlie's (laughs) death boy that that's the one where i was like how did she not get like even a nomination for this performance because that whole scene there's so much going on there yeah, yeah. And I remember, I do kind of remember there being a little bit of a, a backlash of her not getting any kind of nomination uh, for this movie. And uh, to me, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's a horror movie. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> people just people just want to promote anything to do it to just to promote something. Who cares? Uh, but yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, after watching this movie, you know, I was, I was reminded how much I loved her in The Sixth Sense. Where she, yep. you know, also plays a, you know, a grieving mother or a mother that's, you know, coming to terms with, with, um, with her past. Uh, but yeah, she has that scene at the dinner table, and then the, the dream sequence, where, uh, you know, she's telling Peter that, you know, she didn't want to have him, and all of the elements that came after that. Um, just mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. She turns in an amazing performance in a really good movie. And yes, she should have gotten some sort of recognition other than 
like, oh, you know, it's Tony Collette doing Tony Collette things. Like, yeah, she 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 definitely deserved more. Um, and it's it's the type of thing where because this movie is about grief. It's yeah. about dealing with grief and how it affects everyone differently, but how it affects this particular family. And then you layer on top of that, oh, by the way, there's also this outside influence <laughs> that's manipulating everything and pushing right. it towards something that they don't even realize is happening. Like Annie doesn't understand what's going on because none of it is within any of her control. And on top of that, the demon deity thing that is behind all of it just doesn't have a logic that makes any sense to humans. So, you know, there's that aspect of it too. Um, You've got, it's manipulating her in order to make Peter vulnerable to what's going on. So it's using her as a tool to get to Peter instead of directly going after Peter, which is, I think a much more effective way to do that. And it's also a much harder thing to try to stop because you don't understand it. As far as she understands whatever's going on is happening to her. Right. And she doesn't realize what it's doing to Peter, what it's doing to Steve, what it was doing to Charlie. Yeah. It's it's, how her, like all crazy. It's crazy to think that the grandmother was also like, <clears throat> was also playing a part of that, you know, that the, the grandmother mm-hmm. was kind of putting these pieces into play to get to this, to pretty much torture her daughter to get to, you know, what the main, the other thing is of them bringing yeah. forth this, this evil deity. Um, and it, it, it kind of makes me want to know a little bit more about the grandmother. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's, this complete cult of people that must have loved her and worshipped her because, you know, any sense at the funeral, there's so many people here. Uh, and my grandmother yeah. was was very, like, private and did her rituals and, you know, had her own thing. So it's kind of odd that all of these people are here. And these people are just kind of, like, smiling at Charlie. And I'm like, what is the grandmother's story? Like, what is her story? So yeah. the fact that she's putting these pieces into place um, – and almost not even giving a crap about her daughter. She's like, whatever, nope. get a, make a son, <laughs> get pregnant, have a son and let grandma do her thing. Like, let grandma finish her business. It's very uh, uncomfortable thinking about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you can tell like she passed some of the, uh, again, with hereditary, some of what she did, to Annie is then getting passed down to Peter and Charlie un, you know, unknowingly like right. Annie's not doing these things consciously, but it's happening. And then, then you throw in things like the sleepwalking and, you know, waking up to both her kids doused in paint thinner and she's covered in it with a match in her hand. Like right. that was, that was not something I was prepared for when she told that story. Um, and it just, it goes and goes and goes. And like, you mentioned the creepy people at the funeral that uh, the blonde dude with the creepy smile. Yeah. Um, you know, smiling at Charlie. And then he's, you don't see that person again at all until right at the end of the movie. And he's standing in a doorway grinning exactly like that at Peter stark naked. And I was like, what is, what is that? No, no, no. You stay, you stay right there. You don't move. Like, because that it's a slow burn of a movie. 
like the first hour. Yeah. The only thing that happens is the, the inciting incident with Charlie and Charlie's beheading coming home from the party. Mm-hmm. But the, it like the rest of the movie is taking its time, telling this story and setting us up and making us see what's going on. And, and then as it goes and as things start to ramp up, it just goes more and more and more. Yeah. And, but you know, they're doing the crazy stuff right from the beginning. Like there's an early scene where Annie is in her workroom and thinks she sees her mom standing in the oh, corner. My goodness. Yeah. Can I just talk about the, the lighting in this movie? Yes. Cause, right, please because do. <laughs> I am, I'm, you know, again, horror movies are not my jam. Uh, I'm a little bit of a punk, so I will watch a movie with all of the lights on uh, in the daytime <laughs> in, with the sun shining in. Because that's that's how my brain works. One time I tried sure. to watch The Shining. I, you know, The Shining is a classic movie. I'm like, I've seen this movie before. I can watch this movie in the dark. It's fine. And then about, I don't know, 25 minutes into it, I'm like, nope, turn on lights. All lights are coming <laughs> yep. on. Uh, no so, shame in that. <laughs> so this one, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be prepared for it. Uh all the lights are on I'm watching it in the daytime, you know, just making sure that, you know, uh, that I'm safe <laughs> in my, in my environment. Right. Uh, Absolutely. But there's so many cool scenes where, uh, like you were saying, the guy with the blonde hair kind of just standing there smiling, you can't really see what's happening. You can, you can mm-hmm. make it out, but you can't, there isn't a lot of light shown on it. And the, the way that, that, um, I know the way that the lighting is set up in this movie, it makes you really have to focus on what you're looking at. Cause it's like, am I seeing what I'm thinking, what I think I'm seeing? And that scene where she's in the room and she sees her mother, the ghost of her mother, that it creeped yeah. me out. And I wasn't quite oh, yeah. sure. And I'm like, cause that's it. I would think that if you were in a room and you did see a ghost, it would be a lot like that where you're not quite sure what you're looking at, but you know, it's something there. And then as soon as you try to get a little bit of clarity, it's gone. So yep. that that scene, and it happens right at the beginning of the movie, played really uh, real to me. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I'll turn on a few more lights. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Pavel um, Pogrzelski, uh, I think. I'm, I'm butchering the name, but he was the director of photography. He did the cinematography for okay. it. And his lighting was just immaculate uh, because yeah. exactly that. It's sort of that catching something out of the corner of your eye you're not exactly sure it's there mm-hmm. it's it's almost slightly transparent and then the light comes on and no it's not there and whatever's right. behind it somewhat kind of looks like it maybe could have been what you were seeing there's mm-hmm. when peter is hallucinating in his bedroom and he thinks he sees charlie and then it's just a, a sweatshirt over a chair yeah you know, same thing. But then later on, he does see Charlie, but it's a ball that falls instead of her <laughs> head falling off and like yeah. all of that kind of stuff. But the one that got me, all right, the the one that got me, because there is a really great shot in this when Peter discovers uh, his dad. So by this time, Gabriel Burns character, Steve had burned, which mm-hmm. that was a great scene. Well, uh, yeah. in so much as like, it was it was the scene where she is trying desperately to get him to believe her and understand what she's saying. And he has kind of reached the end of, of sort of what he has to give in terms of all of that. He just doesn't have any more. He's, he's out of his tank is empty. Yeah. And he's listening to her and she is just pleading with him and pleading with him. 
because she knows when she tried to burn the book, it set her on fire. She's worried right. that it'll try to do that again. Blah, blah. And then she finally makes the self-sacrifice, throws the book in the fire, and he, boom, bursts into flames. Yeah, like like that. Yeah. Uh, so when Peter finds him, there's that great shot where you're just seeing in the foreground, out of focus, are Steve, Steve's hands and like his corpse there. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at Peter, and in the background, you see Annie <laughs> up in that uh, right. ceiling. And it's a great shot because they they show you Peter and then they do a rack focus very slowly to put her into focus in the background. Yep. And then they slowly rack focus back to Peter. And they're drawing your attention to the fact that she's back there. That's not the creepy one. The creepy one is before, <laughs> one before that, that. <laughs> when you yeah. didn't see her. Because when he's in his bedroom and he sits up on his bed, she's behind him in that shot but it's so dark that you can't see it right away. But it's then when the shot flips and she crawls out of the room that I kind of did like a, I grabbed my chair and did a jump back like, Oh, what the hell was that? (laughs) Yeah. Cause that was, I, I, I didn't quite catch her at the beginning. I did. That's another scene that I watched twice. Um, I didn't catch her at the beginning um, above his head. Because again, no. it's a, one of those movies that you can very you can solve this problem very easily, and I might do this moving forward. Just turning the contrast up on your TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just crank the brightness all the way up when yeah. you're watching it. That might help. But uh, yeah, so I didn't see her at the beginning, but I did see something go past um, Peter in the background. It looked like a sheet or something, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what that was. I wonder if that's going to come into play later. Um, and so I did go back and watch that scene, and that's when I noticed her, and I'm like. Oh Jesus, she's like right there. And then when they show her the sheet that like moves away, is actually her like crawling or flying or something? Yeah, like, but sideways. Yeah, it was like almost like Spider-Man crawling on a wall, but sideways, but flying yeah. also. It was very. Yeah, it was unnerving. Very unnerving, and the whole—I mean, the whole last twenty minutes is just one unnerving moment after another. Because <laughs> that's when then he goes downstairs and he sees his dad, and you see her hanging out up behind there, mm-hmm. and then we get naked smiling guy in the corner, and then right. it cuts back and she's gone. But then all of a sudden she comes running out of somewhere else and chases him, and he goes running oh. up to the attic. Yeah, and like this movie earned every jump scare that it had <laughs> and it didn't overdo them there were no cheap ones mm-hmm. nothing was just a jump scare for the sake of a jump scare it all served what was going on but man did it boy did they work like when because when she comes running at him oh that's that was the moment for me that was the moment where my popcorn went <laughs> flying across the room and i'm like oh yeah. jesus because they 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 set that scene up so well like you said they show her so you know where she is mm-hmm. and then you don't know yeah. where she is and you're looking directly at her and not knowing it and then when she comes out it's like oh you better run peter <laughs> and the way the camera just yeah. follows him like let's go let's go let's go oh it's fantastic mm-hmm. and then for him to run and he gets up into the attic and he pulls the door closed and you're hearing her banging on it and then we and get they... the shot of her and she's on the ceiling oh. banging her head on there oh and i was like brutal oh. and the way <laughs> they frame that and again it's those just weird camera angles and framing it in such a way that it just looks unnatural Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the brutal part was right after that, because then when the banging stops and then he's looking around and you're seeing yet more creepy naked people in the attic, <laughs> just kind of hanging out. 
and you start to hear that that sound mm -hmm. and then it's there's annie floating in the attic with the piano wire as she slowly works that back and forth and they and again <laughs> yeah but again they signposted that because they showed the piano knocked over in a shot earlier but you're not paying attention to it oh, it's I in the foreground out of focus when he's coming down the stairs mm -hmm. in the in the earlier scene and he's taking forever to walk down those stairs but in the foreground out of focus just a little bit knocked over is the piano oh, that they wow. have and again it's one of those just like you brilliant bastard you get you told us what was going on you you gave the you gave away the the whole gag but yet you don't know and then you see that and that's another one of those scenes much like when they cut back to charlie's uh head on the side of the road where they stuck on it for so long yeah the the scene with annie and the piano wire just keeps going mm -hmm. and going and you're now you're you're stuck in this moment <laughs> And you can't, you like as a film watcher, you can't get out of it without turning the movie off. It's right. the movie's going to make you sit there, and it's the tension is ratcheting up, and the music, which we haven't even talked about, the music's oh. getting more and more intense. Mm -hmm. And then he he's watching this happen, and then he looks over, and again, bunch of just old naked people staring at him and and smiling <laughs> like crazy. He did the thing that um, I mean, it was a very reasonable response: run oh, yeah. and jump headfirst out a window exactly i'm out <laughs> he's like john, i've seen this in john wick this is totally gonna work i'm gonna run and dive through the window and it doesn't and quite work not quite and there was a very subtle thing in the next shot and i didn't notice it the first time i watched it and i did watch the scene again and that's after he's dove out the window mm -hmm. first of all you get the long shot and you're still hearing her working the piano wire before it finally kind of snaps <laughs> and you hear the thud. The thud. <laughs> oh, awesome. that was, the music and the sound design in this movie were on point. They're, like they just, nothing was overlooked. Um, but when he's, when they do the overhead shot and they show Peter laying there after he's jumped out the window, there's a very subtle thing where you see a shadow come off of his body. Mm -hmm. And then you see that light come down and sort of enter yeah and it was very subtle it looked subtle enough i didn't notice it the first time but when i i was kind of re-watching parts and watching some breakdowns and i saw that and i was like oh that's yet again like that's just really there was some because there were moments where that light effect was very yes. apparent and they really yep. drew your attention to it and then there's mm -hmm. other times where it was very subtly done yeah and i was wondering uh this movie is going to be a lot of fun for me to go back and rewatch. not that i kind of not that i know where the story was heading um because i really want to pay attention to that light because it would come up in certain scenes mm -hmm. and i wasn't quite sure like if it was supposed to just lead characters places or what it really meant but there's that one scene um it's towards the end uh with annie's character where the light just kind of it kind of you know, leaves her. And then it's like, she was hypnotized. It's like she was in a trance and she just kind oh, of yeah, goes yeah, back yeah. to normal. And I'm like, what, what does that light really, really mean? So I definitely want to go back and rewatch it just so I could uh, get a little bit more uh, understanding of how that light was working. Cause it did it from the ending. It looks like it was the demon itself. And it went inside of Peter and, and Peter's, back as the the eighth king of hell or whatever he, he was yeah i think i think that is the idea we're supposed to think that that is payment um mm. 
moving moving about and manipulating and showing people stuff and uh trying to draw them in whatever direction it wants them to go mm -hmm. um but yeah it, it was just the subtle way they would use it there was a really good one too earlier on when the when the paint bottle gets knocked over and it's <laughs> yes. very obviously like at first you're supposed to kind of maybe think that maybe she knocked it over but it's clearly not her right. but in the background of that shot right before it happens you see the light come through the window Oh. a little flash of that light in the window and then she reaches over and then you watch the paint bottle fall over it's like those are some of the little subtle ones that again when you watch it again you're going to notice that and you're going to be like oh man how did that <laughs> you don't see it you don't consciously see it that first time and that's what the that's one of the really cool things that this movie does um, yeah yeah and, and that and aspect i was thinking it was you know because you're following annie's character so you're thinking this is going to be a, a a ghost story you think that she's gonna mm -hmm. use the seance to connect to her daughter and you know yep. that's the direction that it's going so all of these clues are leading you in that direction so you don't think of at least i didn't think of it as being evil i thought it is i thought of it being oh this is how we're gonna get to the other character and the seance and the chalkboards and all yep. of that stuff not knowing it was part of an evil plan from the very beginning <laughs> yeah this movie really plays with expectations of kind of what you think is going to happen and and turns them a little bit on their on their head which is really great yeah. um and then on top like we mentioned the music but the music in this there isn't like a def definite theme it's it's not a musical score like a john williams score right where right. you're going to be like humming it or you're going to you're going to remember it but it's so effective in this movie for whatever scene is going on um colin stetson did the music and it's just mm -hmm. phenomenal like the the shot where he's leaving the party with her and he's driving and he's yep. driving fast like that music i think i even had uh yeah i had the the note to myself was just like tense music like this yeah. music is making you tense the whole time and it's building and building and building and then there's other times where it's very discordant and it's just kind of weird sounds going mm -hmm. on to play with your head and ah i like everybody involved in this was bringing their a game and it starts with ari aster like ari yes. aster just knew what he wanted to do and got what he wanted out of all the out of everybody and it's i still just can't wrap my head around the fact that this is a feature film debut like it's just that, that yeah. just doesn't seem fair like it's it's really good to see um when you watch a movie and you can tell that you're in the hands of a storyteller that really knows what they're doing like everything is very particularly placed where it is for a reason you know what i mean and mm -hmm. it's it's i don't know it just seems you know so many movies are like cookie cutter and you know i hate to <laughs> i hate to be the guy that talks crap about horror movies because you know i don't but there the thing about regular horror movies for me is that you have to trick your brain or you have to have your brain work so that when characters do dumb things, you just have to expect it. It's like watching mm -hmm. a musical. People are going to break out in song and dance, and your brain has to be like, okay, I will accept this. Yep. Um, Evil Dead Rise, which is a horror movie that a lot of people liked, these characters are, as I'm watching a movie, these characters are dumb. It's like they live in a world where horror movies don't exist. And if you pick up something that's clearly evil, don't mess with it but they're like "Ooh, what is this thing and i'm like all right obviously i have to train my brain to know that these people are idiots and what is going to happen to them they deserve it so mm -hmm. 
it's nice to have a movie where, again, it's a horror movie or has horror elements, but it's, you know, the, the storytelling is there. The storytelling is the basis of that. And then you have the, the performances on top of that. So that when you get to the third act and it just turns into batshit insanity, it's like, oh, we this is the ride that this director wanted us to go on, and I am here for it. Totally here for it. Yeah. Yeah, because you're right. A lot of times, uh, horror movies, action movies ask you to do this quite a bit. Shut your brain off and just enjoy, right? Right. Fast and the Furious, <laughs> physics has no place in those movies. They're just going to do what they want to do. And you know... It, you can you can shut your brain off. You can watch it, and you can just be like, "That's cool spectacle. I right. enjoy that." Uh, horror movies, same way. You can shut your brain off and just be like, "Nope, it's cool. I'm going to root for this guy with a machete because these kids are doing <laughs> dumb shit." Right, and that's fine. Um, one thing that has helped me a lot is to make myself remember that all of these movies or most of these horror movies exist in a world where the horror movies don't exist right? Halloween takes place in a world where they don't have the Halloween movies. They don't have Friday the 13th. So when it's the, why did you stop beating on the guy? He's on the ground. He, you know, he's going to get back up. Those people don't know that because they don't have that frame of reference that we do as an audience, Mm -hmm. Um, except for scream because scream has the whole meta thing going on, which is why for the most part in the scream movies, they don't make dumb decisions like that because that was one of the things that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven really wanted was no, this is a, this is a smarter horror movie in right. that our characters aren't just going to do the dumb things that most will do. Um, another thing that this movie did, and I appreciate this so much is the writing of conversations mm-hmm. feel like conversations that happen between real people and not characters in a horror movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, Tony Collette and Alex Wolf talking about going to the party s- felt to me like a conversation I would have had with my mom at that age of like, I want to go to go to oh, hang yeah. out this thing. Well, is there going to be drinking? We're not old enough to get anything. She's like, it's not what I asked. <laughs> I asked if you were going to be drinking like that was such a good even even the whole thing of like, is your sister going to go? I don't know. Does she want to go? It's like, I don't know. Did you ask her like that feels like real <laughs> That's a real conversation. It's really, it, it's yeah. nice to see that in a movie. Yeah, that did not feel like a script at all. That felt like, a, it definitely felt like a real life conversation, especially, you know, if you've kind of been around situations like that before. Mm-hmm. Even the the whole dinner scene where they're, where she's yelling at him and he's yelling at, like the way they did it never felt melodramatic and written. It felt like, yeah. and that's what makes it, obviously the performance plays into that so much, but like the words that she's delivering in that performance feel like this real moment where the kid is obviously very upset. He steps up and she immediately jumps down his throat. Like, don't you talk to me like that? I am your mother. And, and then in the middle of it, she then relents a little bit and is like, I want to try, you know. I want to take it away from you, but I don't know how, and you won't take responsibility. And she flips it back around and it went in these cycles. There were like cycles and movements within that conversation that just felt real. And it adds an extra layer of gravitas to kind of what's going on. And it makes you care about these characters and this story being told because they feel like real people and not written characters. Yeah. Yeah, they're dealing and with a that lot goes a long more way. It goes a long just... way to making a movie more enjoyable. 
Yeah. Um, well, obviously, we both really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> yes. We both liked it a lot. It is. It is just... I am willing to say that this is what I would consider to be a modern horror movie kind of masterpiece. Like, I don't... I don't want to jump to calling him like Stanley Kubrick, but it's that style of filmmaking. It's that, that care and that attention to the craft of filmmaking that I think Ari Aster and some of these younger directors that we're seeing now have. And I think part of that is having somebody like a Kubrick to study um, and see what he did. Uh, You know, you bring up the shining, like the shining, for whatever faults you have and the fact that Stephen King didn't like it as an adaptation as a movie, it's amazing because he know like Kubrick knew how to do Kubrick had an idea of what he wanted and he executed that. Whether you like it or not, you know, your mileage may vary, but he knew what he was doing. And I feel like that's what Ari Aster does at least after seeing this movie. Now it makes me want to watch Midsummer. I was just about to say that it's very clear that he is a storyteller that, happens to use um, horror as his debut to kind of, you know, show what he's capable of. So it does make me very interested to see how Midsummer is because he's clearly talented. Um, and like I said, he's a storyteller. So now I'm interested to see what else he has going on. I know he has an, another movie that just came out that hasn't been getting a lot of good reviews. The, uh, the Joaquin. Oh, Bo Phoenix is afraid. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. I'm curious on that one. one too. I, you know, honestly, at this point though, having seen this movie, I'm I'm willing to give him a uh, a go on those because yeah. he's he's earned that uh, he's earned that from me at least, um, just based on how well this movie was crafted. He works with A24. A24 definitely puts out. Uh, they produce a lot of really good stuff. They, they seem to be a great incubator of some of these younger filmmakers um, really yeah. putting out good work. Uh, and I mean, it just, it just makes me want to watch more Ari Aster stuff and see what, see if it, uh, if it hits the same level, because I hear really good things about Midsummer. And if let's it can just, be, if Midsummer can be as good as Hereditary, I'm not, all for it. Uh, that we don't see a, a uh, repeat of the M. Night Shyamalan thing where we get Tony Collette in a really good movie right off yeah. the bat. And then every movie after that doesn't quite hit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I hope not. I, I, I do feel like he's a different filmmaker, so I'm, I'm hopeful, but obviously it's still early in his career. Um, but if this is his first release, man, he's, he's got a bright future ahead of him in storytelling and, uh, and I am excited for it. And I'm, I just love, I love seeing, uh, a movie for the first time that can really just like, cause it, this isn't an easy movie to watch, but I also like, I do want to watch it again, but there's also part of me that's like, do I really want to put myself through that again? Well, now I can because I sort of know what, what's coming and I can look at it from a different angle now. Uh, which I think will be great, but it's just, oh, this was a good choice. You, you, you definitely brought something fun. Like <laughs> fun. Isn't the right word. You brought something interesting this time. Yeah, I wouldn't call I'm, anything in this movie fun. <laughs> and I'm glad it's one, you know, you've been doing a show for a while. I'm glad that it's one that you hadn't seen before. 
because um, that's the one thing I was afraid of. Because we both obviously we both watch a lot of movies, so you know, finding something good that neither one of us has seen is kind of a gamble, I guess. So I'm I'm glad that you hadn't seen it before, and I'm glad that uh, my buddy beat him down. Like really, really wanted me to check this out. Now I understand why. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, this movie, if you watch Hereditary, you will never listen to somebody cluck their tongue the same way again. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Oh, I've never had a jump scare from somebody just making a clucking noise like that. It yeah, was, that oh. and the the scene of of Peter looking at his reflection at class, and mm -hmm. his reflection just smiling evilly at him, and him like this kid has such a great face where he's like, "What is happening?" He has like a great like Bill and Ted face, like what? So that yeah, scene. Meanwhile, it's that scene of uh, the he, face smiling back at him just creeped me out big time. There's that, and also like all the characters showing up at the end, all those cultists. Yeah. Did you notice that one of them was one of his buddies that was smoking weed with him under the bleachers? Oh no, really? Yeah, oh. one of them because the the one dude under the bleachers had like a little man bun, little top yeah. knot man bun thing going on, mm -hmm. and one of the cultists at the end that's uh, in the treehouse mm -hmm. that apparently these cults don't like clothing because it's just a bunch of naked people in there but one of them was that guy with the little top knot uh hanging out there like, uh, again it's just those little things that you're just like oh man it's so good even the scene where the woman uh joan is yelling at peter while he's sitting there oh right yeah like again that's such a weird scene because she's screaming at him from across the street but he's the only one that hears it right. so is that going on in his head like is it happening in his head or is it really happening or is it happening in such a way that only he can hear it? Like what's going on there? And mm. it's so unsettling. And the, the, I mentioned the sound design, but the sound work in this movie again is so good because they paid so much attention to detail and yes. they would, the like they made that her cluck, her little tongue cluck was they would drop the sound around it and really focus and emphasize that noise so it 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 really struck you every time it happened yes so that later on when they would use it as a jump scare it grabs you <laughs> and there's just so much of that going on it's brilliant brilliant movie i mean honestly ari aster just just crushes it in in every aspect and everyone involved it's worth it is worth watching if you can handle the subject matter which is tough like i know i know people that i'm never going to say should watch hereditary because it's just going to be too much for them yeah whether it's what happens to charlie or the piano wire or just the 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 very nature of the story going on it's not going to work for everybody but i tell you what if you are if you are a horror movie fan at all i think it's worth it to watch this movie because i do think there's just a whole lot of great craftsmanship going on here and it's creepy as hell yeah there and there is an element of uh you know they kind of lay things out throughout the story and because the of the performances it's very serious like it's very dramatic you take it pretty seriously and then when you get to the third act the supernatural stuff really kind of amps up and i know i'm would assume for a lot of people once you get to that point that might be a bridge too far you know what I mean? Like they might not be able to like really grasp onto why people are floating <laughs> in the air or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but I think 
all of the other things that happen throughout the movie uh, earns that kind of um, height of fantasy. So I definitely think mm-hmm. it's it's worth uh, if you if the the third act kind of threw you off is worth rewatching just to see the little breadcrumbs that are leading to that, and they lead directly to that. It's like a big neon arrow pointing right to it. Yeah. Yeah, the movie isn't subtle about it. And Daniel in the chat brings up that um, random number generator horror podcast number nine, uh, which is, by the way, just a brilliant name for a podcast. Because <laughs> you gotta say the, it's like a tribe called Quest. You got to say the whole thing. Um, <laughs> they gave they they gave Hereditary a one for approachability, which I get. Like it's okay. not because this isn't an approachable film. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know the sensibilities of somebody enough to know that they won't be completely thrown off by what's in this movie to get them to watch it because I think they're, they're going to like it. Um, I tend to be able to watch most things, even if it's only the one time, like I watched a, there was a movie called man bites dog. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, that. It's, it's I a, owned a criterion version of that. That that's one of those where I saw it and I am, uh, I was, I was moved by the fact that I saw it and I never want to watch the movie again. We got done watching it. My friends and I did. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go home and take about six or seven showers <laughs> and uh, I think I'll be okay. But there, yeah. so like I can, I can deal with that, but this is just, this is one of those movies that I think it, it's got a lot to say too. And it's one that you're going to bring different things away from it every time you watch it. So, and, and I love movies like that. It's art in the sense of like, it's telling you everything that's going on, but then you get to draw your own conclusions from it. Yeah. And I'm noticing that as I've gotten older, I'm much more in tune to stuff like that. It's why I've started diving into like David Lynch films, which I never would have. For me, a younger version of me wouldn't, wouldn't be able to watch David Lynch because I'd think of it as being too pretentious and kind of too up its own ass. Yep. But now I watch David Lynch and I'm like, no, he he literally makes you ask a whole bunch of questions. And then he's like, I'm not answering any of them. You <laughs> And there's something about that that I love. So hmm. this kind of approaches that, too, um, in a way. And, 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 I, and I like that. So great choice uh, this week for this movie. Absolutely. Hey, all right. Definitely recommend it. Now, we're finishing up week three of So Wizard Month, which this is a fun thing to do. I love having you guys on because... <laughs> All of you are so different too. It's great. You get bring you you all bring different things to it. Um, but if people haven't figured it out by now, let them know where they can find So Wizard and what you guys do there. Yeah. So every week uh, we put out a new episode. Every week we've been doing it every week for eight years. I think probably eight and a half years at this point. No weeks off. New episode every single week. Uh, me, Joey, and Aubrey we get together and we do uh, usually movie reviews. Usually brand new movies. Um, that have just come out that week, genre movies. Uh, we mm-hmm. are doing Fast and the Furious, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> is, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, our voices are all kind of different. So we all, when we get together to talk about something, uh, you get different viewpoints of it. Uh, it's always fun when we all agree with something. It's always fun when more more often than not, we disagree. Uh, mainly because I'm a big softie. I love almost everything. Joey is very strict on things that he likes and things that he doesn't like. And Aubrey yes. hates everything. So if we get Aubrey <laughs> to like anything, it's always a win. 
so yeah, every week uh, you can catch us. Uh, SoWizardPodcast.com is the website. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that Adam, our fourth member, uh, does, and where he does like amazing interviews with indie indie creators, uh, storytellers. Uh, he does some unboxings there too. Uh, very geek related, but very cool stuff. Um, and occasionally you'll see me and Joey and Aubrey maybe pop up on there every once in a while. But uh, yeah, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, wherever you can get podcasts, you will find So Wizard Podcast. It's great. And I've been a guest uh, before and I'm looking forward to coming back sometime because that was a lot of fun. And I got Aubrey coming next week and uh, <laughs> we have to change because she she couldn't think of a movie and then finally decided on Pulp Fiction. And I was like, I've done Pulp Fiction already. Oh, <laughs> so I'm bummed about that. But uh, I've got a couple other uh, options and I'm going to I'm going to nail that down uh, this week. But uh, I'm looking forward to that because last time we watched um was it Better Off Dead? Better Off Dead, yeah, yeah. Which was better than I had anticipated it being. So I'm, we're going in a very different direction this time, though. It doesn't sound like <laughs> it's going to be a comedy. So we'll see. We'll see if we can get, see if we'll find something that she likes. Um, but yeah, So Wizard Podcast, definitely check it out. Uh, and I told Joey last week, and I told Adam as well, we're not going to go two years between having you all back on because it's oh, too much nice. fun to have you here. So <laughs> definitely have you back. Um, this show I record Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and I stream it live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis show comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can search for wait, you haven't seen, or if, because my SEO is terrible, just go to TV's Travis.com. You can find the feed right there. Grab it in your favorite podcatcher. You can also see other shows that I work on. Uh, like gore which is all horror movies um, i'm a co-host on that and it's a similar thing we're four different people with different sensibilities in terms of movies sometimes we agree sometimes we don't sometimes we get kind of a two versus two thing going on which is always fun um so there's that uh, i do uh, one on um classic television anything kind of pre-2000 uh, called those were the days that's a lot of fun we're in the middle of character recasts uh, so we're, we're talking about shows where they recast a major character. Um, mm -hmm. This week we're talking about Roseanne when they recast Becky, um, oh. <laughs> which will be fun. Uh, so yeah, definitely tvstravis.com to check that out. You can also find merch there, Patreon for this show. If you want to join that for as little as a dollar an episode, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And I'll be back next week with Aubrey, um, possibly another Tarantino movie. We'll see. It won't be Pulp Fiction, but there was another one on her list that we might do. Uh, there's a couple things. So I mean, keep an eye on Twitter. I'm, I love Aubrey, but what you haven't seen is literally like the question we ask her every single week on the show because she hasn't <laughs> seen anything. That, that's what Joey was telling me, so it's perfect. Um, but uh, I'm TV's Travis on Twitter. Check there. I will be posting as soon as we decide on a movie um, as well. So Mark, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. I had oh, a great thank, time. thank you for inviting us. Thank you for doing So Wizard Month. Um, and it's always good to talk movies to someone with someone uh, that's not Joey and Aubrey that you know might be able to, <laughs> you know, it's to understand a little bit where where I'm coming from when I have to describe something. Absolutely. Uh, so until next week, and uh, whatever movie Aubrey and I decide we're going to watch, this has been <laughs> Wait You Haven't Seen. Let's be excellent to each other.
Well, that's a crock. I'm just asking if you're drinking. Well, it just answered no. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>